Awesome. Um, sorry, I, I don't normally text from up here, but I needed to take care of that um, as we got started. Um, does anybody in here like have like a $20 bill in their wallet? Right, I've got a couple. All right. Anybody have like multiple 20s in their, in their wallet? Has anybody got their checkbook in their back pocket? In your purse? You know, less and less people carry their checkbook with them and, and less and less people carry cash with them. But the text message I just sent was to a number that allowed me to give to the church. And so we've got this opportunity. You can sit there in your bulletin and, and when we get to the offering, the, the slide will be up there um, to, to give the number because we want to make sure that people have the opportunity. It's like, oh, the offering plate's coming by. I don't have anything. And I've already gotten the response. Thank you for supporting FBC Fairburn with your financial gift. This donation will be used to reach people with the gospel in Fairburn and around the world. I mean, how simple was that, Right? So we want to take opportunities to, to make sure that, that, that we are able to open up uh, where we can give, where we can be a, a, generate a giving culture as we seek to support. Hey, you know what? In just a couple of months, we're going to be doing Annie Armstrong. You can, you can type in Annie Armstrong and the amount you want to give to that number, it's secure. It goes through the same routing as all of our, uh, uh, all of our um, online giving. It goes through a clearinghouse. We don't have your, con your, your credit card or checkbook information. We don't have any of that. And, and it goes through this clearinghouse, but you can select the, the designated Annie Armstrong and that amount and it'll go. And that way it's like, man, I forgot my checkbook. There's no place to swipe a card here. You can still give. If you don't go online, you can give to the text. So Genesis chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. Um, but I wanted to take care of that now so I didn't forget later because I probably would forget. And then I wouldn't be able to tell you all about it if, if I forgot later. So we want to make sure that y'all had the opportunity to know what we have going on. So, so Genesis chapter 16, we're coming into a, in, into a passage here in the life of Abram that continues to build on this promise that God has given him. That this overarching promise that God has given to all of humanity that he will end the curse, that he will end the plague of sin. But it comes through a family. It comes through a promise. And Genesis chapter 16 ushers in just a very slight hiccup in the nuancing of the promise, but not on God's part. So Genesis chapter 16, we find these words written. It says this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, his servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. You do to her as you please. So Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and to where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. The angel of the Lord continued speaking, saying to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand shall be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will dwell over and against all of his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lehi Roi, which lays between Kadesh and Vered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your power. Lord, we thank you for your presence and gathered, to there, gathered together today, we thank you for your people. God, we may, may we be a people who are faithful to you. May we be a people who embrace the faithfulness of the gospel in our lives as we reach into Fairburn, as we reach into our cities, into our counties, into our state, into this world with the good news of hope. Teach us your word this morning and we ask all this in the name of Christ, amen. Wow, Abram and Sarah, what a marriage, right? Just a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we're looking at the fact that Abram's already lied to Pharaoh about who Sarah is and says, nope, that's my sister. I don't wanna die, so that's my sister. And Pharaoh takes Sarah and was gonna make her his wife until the angel Lord intervened. And, and now here they are in their older age and, and Sarah's like, well, Abram, it's not happening. So, so why don't you take this other woman to be your wife? What a marriage, right? Wouldn't you like to go to a marriage conference that Abram and Sarah were leading? I mean, seriously. But you know what? These are the people that God used. These are the people that God used to deliver his promise. These are the people that God brought the, the, the line of Christ through in spite of all this. And we get into this passage of scripture and there are two scenes that we see. The first six verses lay out scene one. The, the verses seven through the end, uh, 16, lay out the, the, the scene two. And what we have in these two scenes are pit ideas that are pitting against each other. We have two realities that coexist and they kind of form where we are today. And so we see first this human faithlessness, this, this faithlessness of the people that God had promised. It says there, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That was their reality. God had already had this conversation with Abram. He had already promised a son. He, Abram even said, hey, where's the son? Where, where, where's this child? Because I'm gonna have to give everything I own to this servant that I got in Damascus when I went and rescued Lot. And, and God had already confirmed his promise and said, this is your land. This is how you know my promise. It says here in this passage of scripture that 10 years have passed. 10 years they're waiting on this promise. It says at the end of the passage that Abram is 86 years old. So let's just say for, for just the nine-month pregnancy and all that, that Abram is 85 years old when we hit verse one. 
We learn over in, later in, in the book of Genesis that Sarah is nine years younger than Abram. So Sarah is 76 years old and she has no child. Do we have any 76 year old? I know you're not supposed to ask ladies their age. Do we have any ladies that are 76? Currently 76? Either we don't or... Can I just share a truth with you? 76-year-old ladies don't have babies. That's the reality where Sarah was living. She's like, Abram, I have followed you all over this planet, all over this known planet. I, I, I followed you into Egypt, even though it wasn't pretty there. We came out of Egypt. I stood beside you when you when, and, and was, was here waiting for you to get back when you went and rescued Lot, when you got into his mess. And, and, and I'm here, but you know what? This baby thing's not happening. So I got a plan. Here is Hagar. It says there in the passage of scripture that she had an Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. This takes us back to Abram's faithlessness in Genesis chapter 12. Hey, no, that's, that's my sister. That's not my wife. You're going to kill me if I tell you it's my wife. So that's my sister. And they come out with many possessions. No doubt Hagar was given to her. I don't know how old Hagar is. Let's just say that she's probably 35. But just going to spitball 35. I have really no idea how old she is. But here's Abram with his wife. And she says, look, I can't have the child. So I want you to have this baby with Hagar. I'm giving to her as, to you as a concubine, as, 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 a, as a wife for this purpose. And so I want you to, to, to make a baby here. And maybe by her having a child, I can claim it as my own and this promise thing goes through. But what was God's promise? I'm giving you a son, Abram. And we could easily start looking back and say, well, he never said he was giving it through Sarah. And you know, you know, you know, Evan, I've heard preachers say for years that God works in mysterious ways and the way we expect him to deliver his promise isn't always the way it comes. Yeah, that's right. But isn't this the same God that told us in Genesis chapter two, well before we got to Abram, for this reason, a husband, a man should leave his father and mother and be cleaved to his wife, this one-to-one -one union? Let's don't bring somebody else into what we've got going on here. Let's seek what God is doing because doesn't God work in the impossible? But their faithlessness led them, led Sarah to this conclusion. It's not happening here. So I'm going to make our own way. Abram, take Hagar. And look what happens here. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. It's very important for us to note in biblical terminology, especially in the Old Testament, the faithlessness is always attributed to the husband because it was through the husband that God provided the covering. This is why it was, it was not imputed sin to Eve, but it was imputed sin to Adam because Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though Eve did first. It is Adam who bears the culpability, the responsibility, the blame for the sin. And here it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, don't any of you men go from here and say, well, preacher said you don't gotta listen to your wife. Wife's gonna get you in trouble, so you better not listen. No, that is not the point of where we're going here. 
So ladies, if your husband pulls that one out of the back pocket later, you let me know and we'll have a little nice biblical counseling session and we'll set the record straight. But he says here in this passage of scripture that after Abram had been there 10 years, he took Hagar the Egyptian and took him as a wife. And he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress and that created some problems between Abram and Sarah. No, duh. Wow, who didn't see that one coming, right? I'm giving another woman to you for this conjugal reason. Now she's gonna have the baby that I was supposed to have. And now, tell you a secret, ladies can be catty about things. (laughs) That no came from a lady that just for the record, okay? I'm having the baby you were supposed to have. I'm more of a woman than you are. I can do something that you can't do. This was your husband, but I have a child through him. This is, I'm reading into it, but this is what's going on. She's looking at her with contempt and it created an issue with Abram and Sarah. And Sarah says, you, we've got issues, son. We've got a problem here in what our marriage is and you've got to sort it out because may the evil done to me by her be on you. And Abram... Oh, man. Men, you ever get in that situation where it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to be the right thing? It doesn't happen in my house. But I've seen it on TV. And I've talked with men that have gone through that. Here is option A from the wife. Here is option B for the wife. And both of them are like, Which, which, which one's going to be the easier one and cause the less problems, right? But, but we did your option and it's still my fault, right? That's where Abram is. Abram bears the responsibility because it was his step into the new relationship with Hagar that brought the unfaithfulness to their house, that brought the faithlessness in God's promise to their home and created this method of this, this pattern of contempt and the relational brokenness because of the human faithlessness. But then we get to verse seven. Hagar has fled and she is out and she finds herself in the wilderness by this well and it says there that the angel of the Lord found her. The second scene centers solely around divine faithfulness where humans have been faithless. God is proving himself to be faithful. And it says here, he finds her and says, where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? As if he didn't know. It's just like, Adam, where are you? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat from? It wasn't that God didn't know. God provides opportunities for us to own up to what's going on in our lives because he already knows. And here he is. Where where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing from a mistress, Sarah. And he says to her, go back to her because I'm making this promise to you. I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for a multitude. Wasn't that the resounding promise that Abram received twice from God? Your offspring, your descendants will not be able to be numbered just like you can't number the dust of the earth and just like you can't number the stars in the heavens. 
Here we see the faithfulness of God that in spite of the faithlessness of man, he still brings people because of the covenant to Abram, he still covers Hagar. She's the servant bystander in all of this. But God is faithful to her. God is faithful. He says, you're pregnant. You're going to bear a son. This is the first time we realized she's going to give a son. For all Sarah I knew, Hagar was going to have a little girl. And in, in, in his day, in Abram's day, you passed on your stuff. The heir of your house was not a daughter. It was a son. So for all Sarah I knew when all this was going down in the first six verses, it was going to be a little girl and it would not have mattered as far as the covenant was concerned. But here we find that it is a son. So this is in the days before you had gender reveal parties. You know, popping balloons with pink confetti or blue confetti or I still love that commercial where they're at the gender reveal party and the lady comes to talk to a man and he's eating a piece of cake that's blue on the inside before they were supposed to cut the cake. And he's like, uh, kind of like Abram, uh. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. This was in the day before they had sonograms and ultrasounds and could look and see, oh, you're gonna have a boy, you're gonna have a girl. I don't know what kind of special old wives tales they would use to figure out, you know, if, if, if the moon has this around it, you're gonna have a boy or if, or if your hair does this in the morning, you're gonna have a girl or what, whatever it is. I think one of them is if you have heartburn all through the pregnancy, it's gonna, your, your baby's going to have a head full of hair or something like that. I, I, I don't remember all the, all, all the things that we, we heard throughout all three of Christie's pregnancies. But, but I don't know what they used. But this is the first time we know for sure this is going to be a son. He says, his name will be Ishmael. Why? Because God has heard you. Our faithful God hears this servant girl. She was not the one to whom the promise was given and still he turns an ear to her because he's faithful. Then he makes another promise about this boy. He will be a wild donkey of a man. I almost read the King James version of that. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Not only will he be a wild donkey, but his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He's going to hate everybody and everybody's going to hate him. Trouble is going to follow him everywhere he goes. He is consistently going to be at war with everyone around him. Do you know who the many times great grandpappy of one who identifies himself as the prophet of God named Muhammad happens to be Ishmael. You you know why there's so much turmoil in the Middle East over a really not great piece of property? Because Ishmael is the firstborn son of Abram and in the eyes of those who follow Islam, those who are Muslims, that is the Ishmael's land, not Israel's land. This is supposed to be the Muslim land according to their belief and theology. But the promise wasn't given to them. It was given to Abram through the son of Sarah. Today, nearly 4,000 years, probably around 4,000 years after this episode, We still see his hand shall be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over and against all of his kinsmen. You want to know why the book of Genesis is important for you as a Christian today? 
because it helps us understand how God delivered his promise to us in the world where we live, even though it happened 4,000 years ago. Because God is a faithful God that does not change. He says there, he says, I have heard you. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. God, you are a God of seeing. Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. God, I was in the house of my mistress and the patriarch Abram all those years. I was a servant girl from another land. I didn't know you, but you've looked after me. Isn't that such a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of our God, a divinely faithful God who looks after us even when we don't know him? Because he wants us to know him. That's why he made us. That's why he made the world. That's why we look at creation. And that's why we look at the promise. And that's why we look at the covenant. And that's why we look at the beauty and the joy of all that God has done so that we could say, this is why we know him. This is who he is. So she returns, it says that she bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom Hangar bore Ishmael because he saw that God had heard. He was 86 years old. We come into this passage of scripture and I'm gonna throw out the same main idea I gave you last week because it centers back into this passage of scripture that the person of faith entrusts their future to what God can do for them more than what he or she can do for himself. Himself. The person of faith entrusts their future to what God can do rather than to what he or she can do for themselves. Look, look at this picture when we juxtapose human faithlessness and God's faithfulness. What was the promise of God to be? A son. What did Abram do? Take matters into his own hands. He stopped trusting God for that moment and he brought in a huge mess, but God still proved faithful. He still proved faithful. I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, Spencer, can you real quick um, flip to that last slide from King of My Heart? Choir singing this song. Lewis didn't have my outline when he planned to sing that song today. But I want y'all to see something. that He knew what passage we were going to be in. But he didn't know that my outline was going to have this. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. When the night is holding on to me, when the darkness surrounds, when I can't see clearly what the future is, I trust in a God who is holding on because his future for me is better than what the future I can provide for myself. Because God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God when the night, I can't comprehend it, I can't wrap my heart around it, I can't wrap my mind around it, but he's God. And he's a good God. He's not a malicious and evil God. He's not a vindictive God. He is a God who has given us his son, his surest promise. So as people of faith, our responsibility is to entrust our future to what God can do rather than to what we can do for ourselves. So how do we connect it? God sees, or excuse me, God hears, even if we think he's absent. The God we serve, the God of the Bible, time and time again, proves himself to be a God who 
hears. Look at verse 11. You are pregnant, you will bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. I do not know what your affliction is right now. It could be health, it could be loneliness, it could be financial. And you've cried out to God. And, and time and time again, it feels like your, ceiling, your, your prayer's not making it past the ceiling. God, where are you in this? God, God do you hear? God, God, are you there? God hears even when we think he is absent. Hagar had no reason to believe that the God of Abram cared about her because what she knew were the gods of Egypt. And what she knew was that this Abram had his own God and this Sarah had her, her own God with Abram. She knew that there was something different, but there was no reason for her to believe that God would listen. But he does. He hears even when we think he is absent. And if it's that much for someone who is outside of the covenant like Hagar how much more for us who are of faith in Christ who have been washed by the covenant of blood the Christ's blood that we are his children how much more would he hear us I, I, I love at night listening to the kids um, we've got monitors in in Addison and Caleb's room we took it out of Braden's room because you know he's old enough take it out I say this knowing that she's sitting right here on the front pew, but it's about a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, not too long after we moved here, um, Addison's in her big girl bed or whatever, and, uh, and she, she can get out of the bed and grab toys or you know, do it, you know, whatever. It's nap time, it's night time, but we could hear it, partly because her mattress is really, really squeaky, and, and, and partly because... She's not very quiet. And it never, it never failed. We would go into her room and catch her in the middle of playing with something, grabbing something off of her dresser, being in her closet, grabbing a baby doll. And she asked me one time, how did you know I was out of my bed? And my response to it was, I can hear even though I'm in the other room. Thing is, God doesn't have some sort of monitor placed in your room so that when he's out busy doing something else, he can still hear. God is attentively attuned to you where you are because he is almighty, all powerful, can see, can hear, can perceive all that is going on in your life, in your heart, in your mind, and he hears even when we think he is absent. But not only does he hear, he also sees when we think he isn't looking. See, I'm taking some time here because you and I have to grapple with truth and, and, and face truth and understand and internalize truth in order for us to discerningly see through the false lie of the world around us. See, you remember Adam? He ate of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil, he took a bite of that piece of fruit and then ultimately everything fell and he went and he hid from God as though God wouldn't be able to find him. But even when we don't think God's looking, he sees. It says there in that passage of scripture, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. <clears throat> you are a God of seeing. Most of us need to remember that. He might not be your friend on Facebook, but he sees what you post. 
He doesn't need a police officer's body camera. He sees what you do in your car, what you do in your house, what you do in your workplace. But, but we have callously thought that we could just do what we want and get away. Not only is the faithfulness of God for the good in that he sees us, it's also that in spite of what he sees us doing, he still loves us. God is a God who sees. Even, <clears throat> excuse me, if we think he's not looking. This is why this is important. Because faithlessness always re- results from the adoption of a lie, even if it's only momentary. Momentary. Faithlessness, you know, we're contrasting human faithlessness and divine faithfulness. Faithlessness results always from the adoption of a lie, even if it's only momentary. In this moment, Abram and Sarai adopted a lie that the promise wasn't going to come the way God described. For a moment, Adam and Eve thought that the, pro- the truth of God, that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Well, remember, they're standing there. Serpent tempts Eve. She sees the fruit. That looks like a good piece of fruit. I'm going to take it. I'm going to eat it. And she hands it to Adam, who was right there with her, right? Because Adam's like, well, God said you'd die if you ate that. And you didn't die, so I guess I'll eat it too. For a moment, he forgot what God, he adopted the lie. The lie that God didn't want the best. God didn't want was. But what was the lie that Sarah? I want you to look at something. Verse two, it says this. <clears throat> Sarah said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That's not a lie. God had not delivered his promise. That is a true. So she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, we're not talking about some sort of fancy adoption here. What we're talking about is, is an ancient marriage practice where that was somewhat, somewhat normal. That took place. We see it later in Abram's family with, uh, with Leah and Rachel and their concubine, their, their, their servants who became concubines of Jacob. And, and it's not that God ordains this. It's not that God says this is okay to do this. this. This is just what took place and God worked in spite of it. But that word it says there says that maybe I shall obtain children by her. The literal translation of what she says in the Hebrew right there is, it may be that I can be built up because of her. The lie that Sarah bought into was that what someone else could do, what someone else thought was more important than who God was and what God had promised. That is where you and I live every single day. We are waiting on someone else to be our source of significance. We are waiting on something else to be our source of strength. We are waiting on that check. We are waiting on that relationship. We are waiting on those likes, on, on what we post on social media. We're looking to external sources for significance when God said, I have given you myself. Sarah looked and said, I've got to judge whether or not I'm worth it if I can be built up based on what I can do or what this girl can do for me. There was only one person that ever did something for you that would build you up and that was Christ Jesus. Faithfulness is always the adoption, excuse me, faithlessness is always the adoption of a lie even if it's momentary. You got somebody struggling with 
lust and pornography and they know it's sin, but in that moment they give into the lie that, well, this time will be the last time it'll be okay. You've got somebody with, with, with a substance abuse addiction and, and they're, they're struggling with it, but I've got to find that high. I've got to find that, that, that feeling. You've got people struggling with, with, with looking towards relationships, whether they're single and they're waiting for that guy to show up or that girl to show up, or you're married and you're, you're waiting for your husband or your wife to have that messianic quality about themselves that ushers in hope. You're waiting for the guys at school to, 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 to build you up, bruh. You're waiting for the girls. See, girls today face so much pressure and temptation or pressure to give in and do certain things. I gotta be careful because they're kids in there. It's, not, it's a family worship Sunday, but girls are feeling the pressure because if they're not this type of girl, then the guys won't accept them. That is waiting for an external source to give you significance. And that is a lie. Your significance, your worth, your value comes because God said, I've made you in my image. I have breathed my life into you and I have given you the promise of hope in Christ Jesus, my son, your Messiah. But let's don't Mix it up. Abram had the promise. He had the covenant with God. And he still acted in faithlessness. So this isn't a lost people issue. This is for us who are the household of faith. Do not adopt the lie. Walk in faith. The faithful person, remember, trusts their future to what God can do for them Versus what they can do for themselves or what someone else can do for them. It's what he can do. Fourth, we see here that faithlessness is when we try to accomplish or when I try to accomplish God's purpose without God. <laughs> Think about that one. Doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. He says there in this passage of scripture, it says that uh, um, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go unto my servant that I may obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Verse four, it says, and he went into Sarah and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, uh, Hagar looked with contempt on her mistress. I mean, look at this. Abram says, you promised me a son, so I'm going to get it on these terms. You, you promised me that you would deliver, so I'm going to go about it on a man-centered, a man-able way and not your way. It's trying to accomplish God's purpose, but doing it without God. You know how many churches get themselves in trouble with this? Think about it. If all of us individually are capable of acting in faithlessness by adopting the lie, even if it's only momentary, and acting on that lie, what kind of calamity happens when we all individually who are capable of doing that come together, right? We would like to think that the church is the safe place where, well, because we're in the church that we will have all of our decisions governed by, by God's plan. And if this guy gets out of line, then we're gonna call him back down. If he's trying to do it for his motives, we'll call him back down. But don't we all struggle as faithful followers of Christ at First Baptist Church of Fairburn of wanting to make First Baptist Church of Fairburn great and the greatest thing in Fairburn? You don't. Don't we all want the church to do well? Don't we all want to see the church grow? Don't we all want to see this community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Is it about First Baptist Church or is it about what God is doing in the lives and hearts of individuals through First Baptist Church? I love this place. I'll be honest with you, I want this to be the best church, the, 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 the church that people have, right? We, we struggle with name recognition a little bit, all right? I'll talk to people in Fairburn. Hey, y'all pastor First Baptist. Now, where's First Baptist in Fairburn? Well, it's the biggest thing in downtown next to Landmark. Oh, it's next to Landmark. I thought that was part of Landmark. Now we just share a street. But it's, it's the one, it, it's not about name recognition. It's about what God's doing. And as your pastor, as much as I want people to hear First Baptist Church and their first response be like, that is a church where I know I can hear the word of God. That is a church where I know people will love me. That is a church where I know people will serve me, that, that, that they will help me when times get tough. That is a church that is making a difference in our community. As much as I want that, it's not about, hey, that's what First Baptist is, but that's what the people of God are. See, faithlessness happens when we try to accomplish what God has for us without using God. So it's like, well, we gotta have, we gotta have this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. Well, where, where is the, the prayer? I, I served in a church at one time, <clears throat> long before I came here, where, where um, I was associate pastor and, and, and you know, the church was doing great, the church was full. We, you know, we were in the position where we were having to rotate Sunday school classes through an overflow room and they could watch a live feed video of the service in there and, and things were going great. But you know, we, we had to look at adding another service. It, it was necessary for the church to continue. And so uh, the, 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 the senior pastor of the church, he had 50 years of ministry experience. You know, he and I, we spent weeks just praying together of what God would have. And, and he asked me to help him. We, we started mapping things out. And, and, and we fully, truly believed that, that this is, that coming to a two-service, two-Sunday school plan was exactly what we needed to do for the next step to continue reaching people in our family, in, in, our, uh, in our community, and, and, and seeing families transformed by the gospel. And so we took it to the deacons meeting. And Good grief, it was, like a, it was like a dove flying over a cornfield in August. I mean, it was shot down out of the air, boom, like that. And this is why. The statement that resounds in my soul to this day is, well, I won't be able to shake everybody's hand if we do this. From a guy that didn't shake everybody's hand anyway. And... And the pastor, his name was Danny, he asked the question, how are we to reach the families in this community if we don't provide a space for them? And the answer was, we'll find another way. Now, I'd like to tell you great things that happened after that, but realistically, it didn't. The decision was made, the hearts were hardened, and there was never another effort to reach people in that same way, to open up the way. And, and, and there's some good people in that church and there's some really good people, but collectively there was a lack of faith and faithlessness became, we're gonna do church our way and not what God has led us to do. Faithlessness is a tra trying to accomplish God's purposes without God. In, in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your workplace, Every step of the way, we've got to have the purpose and the plan of God at work in our lives. But here's the beauty. I have acted in faithlessness. You have acted in faithlessness because we are flesh and blood. But even when we're faithless 
God is faithful. God is faithful even when we are not. Even when we step away, even if it's just for a moment, that momentary lapse, that momentary adoption of that lie, even if it's just for a moment. Look at what happens here. Sarah had no children. She had a female servant named Hagar. She gives Sarah, Hagar to Abram. Hagar becomes pregnant and she flees. God comes to her and says, go back. And notice at the end it says, and Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. You know what happened there? Abram didn't get kicked out. This was Abram's faithlessness. This was Abram's sin. God didn't kick him out. He didn't look at him and say, you know, Abram, I had really good plans. I had big plans, actually. Remember, I told you you wouldn't be able to number the multitude of your, your descendants, but first you give your wife to Pharaoh, and then you take this other woman and try to, to make that your plan. So I'm sorry, buddy, but time's up. You're out of here. Instead, God is faithful to Abram, even though Abram was faithless. I don't know where you messed up this week. I don't know what lie you adopted this week, but God is faithful. God is still reaching with the arms of Christ who was crucified on the cross for you. Whether you have trusted him for the first time or you are realizing that I've not been walking faithfully with my Lord, my God, my Savior. He is reaching because he is faithful. He sees when we think we're not, he's not looking. He hears when we think that he is absent because he is faithful to us that is the God that we serve but maybe this morning you don't serve that God maybe this morning you've never taken the opportunity to take him at his word to trust that the blood of Christ is what you need let me give you an opportunity right now the reality is everybody in this room no matter how nice your church clothes are or aren't has sinned and the thing that separates some of us from others of us is what we've done with that sin if you've never carried your sin to the cross of Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness, please do so today. He says his grace is sufficient. He says that his blood will cover the multitude, the host of sins, and you can walk in a life of faithfulness today to the God who sees, to the God who hears, the faithful one who loves you.